Well, good morning. My name is Alex Dennis, and I have the honor and privilege of being one of the other pastors at this church. And so if it is your first time, again, welcome to Asante Church. We are continuing on in our sermon series, Spiritual Things. And there's something that we are going to look at today that I think is crucial for our lives as believers. Um, And that is the plan of the enemy. That is the strategy of the enemy. And I want to dispel this. I want to expose his plan so that he no longer has power or authority over us in our lives. I want us to realize our need for Jesus and so that we are no longer even able to be taken over by the enemy so that he has nothing on us. We now belong to Jesus. And so today, I want us to realize that every story has an enemy. And we are living in a story that if you are in Jesus is no longer your own. And if you are outside of Jesus, you are living in your own story that has not yet become a part of the bigger story. But the implications, the consequences from this bigger story will play out in your smaller story until you give your life to Jesus. Until he invites you into his story. And the story we find ourselves in is in a world at war where there are powers and evil spirits and unseen forces, angels and demons fighting all around us for our souls, for our influence, for spiritual warfare. Again, every story has an enemy. The Dark Knight, one of the greatest movies ever made, had an enemy, and that was the Joker. Star Wars, it had Darth Vader. The best movie ever made had an enemy, and that's called Braveheart, and that was King Edward I, a.k.a. Longshanks. The Wizard of Oz, it had the Wicked Witch of the West, Jaws. Anybody know the enemy in Jaws? (laughs) It's a shark, a big old shark. Harry Potter, he whose name must not be spoken, but I know how that story ends. He's not scaring me. That's Voldemort. And then Stranger Things, season one, you got the Demogorgon, season two, you got the Mind Flayer, season three, you got Vecna, season four, Vecna again, probably we'll see. But we find ourselves in a story, and we find ourselves with an enemy as well, and our enemy goes by many names, but I think we may know him as Satan, which means the adversary. We know him as the devil, which means the opposer. He has a lot of aliases. He is also known as just the enemy, the evil one, the father of lies, Lucifer, the tempter. Every single enemy. In all of these stories, every single enemy has a strategy. What was the Joker's strategy in the Dark Knight? It's just to kill as many people, as many Gothamites as he can senselessly until Batman shows up and then he wants to take down the bat. What about Darth Vader? Kill all the Jedi, no matter how old, no matter how young. Spread the Empire's rule to cover every galaxy and rule with an iron fist. How about King Edward I, a.k.a. Longshanks, to oppress the Scottish? That didn't work out too well for him, did it? It absolutely didn't. What about the Wicked Witch of the West? Well, it's to send out all those flying monkeys and get those ruby red slippers. What about the shark in Jaws? It's just to eat people to really scary music, okay? <laughs> dun-na, dun-na, dun-na. Because of that music, I was, a, I, was, I was a scared. I almost said I was a scared. I was afraid and scared and a scared to get into pools where there were no lights until I was 11 years old. That enemy strategy worked. What about Lord Voldemort? 
It's to put himself into these horcruxes and gain immortality, to rise to power, to build an army, and then to kill Harry Potter. His strategy was everything he could do to get power, and then Vecna to possess these teens all around Hawkins so that he can bridge this gap between the upside down and the real world. And spoiler alert, that's probably going into this next season. Our enemy, our enemy has a strategy as well. We covered it briefly last Sunday. We'll cover it more intensely this morning. Our enemy's strategy is found in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That is Jesus saying, this is what the enemy came to do. The enemy, steal, kill, and destroy. Really hard to say all three of those. Really the first two right next to each other. But Jesus, so that we can have life. What does stealing, what does killing, what does destroying have in common? They all work towards the enemy's ultimate goal, and that is death. Death for God's people. So today, we look at one aspect of many as to how he brings about death. But before we do, I think it would be wise for us to kind of just pump the brakes, give a little brief warning, do it from the, a quote of C.S. Lewis's when it comes to the demonic, because he knew, and I think I've seen in my time in ministry, that there's two places you can go about this from, and that's that it doesn't exist, or you can get way too excited about it and really go off in a different direction. C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book on the strategy of the enemy, and it's called The Screwtape Letters. And this is a fictional book, but basically what C.S. Lewis says is he had 31 letters written from a a higher-up, mid-management-level demon that fell in his lap one day. And again, this is all fictional. And he kind of puts the idea out there that uh, the enemy is strategizing against us. And so the screw tape letters are letters written from screw tape to his nephew, Wormwood. I believe that's the—maybe it's opposite of that. But it is 31 different letters from the enemy's perspective, on how Screwtape can advise his nephew Wormwood to influence and control and just throw fiery arrows and just kind of take jabs and punches at this man whose name is the patient. And the patient, he ends up giving his life to Jesus. Screwtape comes down on Wormwood. He says, you're not doing a good enough job. It's an awesome book. If you would like more strategies of the enemy towards us. Again, there are 31 of them within this book. I thought we would just cover all of them today so you wouldn't have to read it. (laughs) And then I thought better of that. What C.S. Lewis says as he warns us against these devils, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about these devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, not take it serious at all. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So what C.S. Lewis and his wisdom is saying to us is let's stay healthy on this. Let's give this a healthy acknowledgement. Let's stay middle of the road. Yes, this exists, but no, we don't need to go join the occult, okay? Yes, this exists, and we need to live our lives like we are in a battle, like it does exist, but it does not have power over us if we are in Jesus. Let's not dive too deep into this and accidentally give it influence over us. So, without any further ado, today let's hone in on one of the four strategies 
presented that the enemy has against us. And this is coming from a book by a man by the name of Warren Wearsby. And he puts forth four strategies of the enemy. And again, I didn't even have time for four of those strategies today. So we are just going to dive into one of these. And if you're in my home group, maybe we will go a little bit further, a little bit deeper later tonight. The first strategy of the enemy against us as believers is deception. The strategy of Satan is to deceive. And we see this in the Old Testament character, the figure, the person of Eve, and in the story of post-creation in the fall. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said said to the woman, you, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves one cloth. So, if you're tired of the clothing bill going up and up and up and up, this is where that originates from. We would have just been perfectly fine running around buck naked until these people <laughs> ruined it for us. Honestly, I don't want to picture that world, but that's, that's what it would have been. The enemy has a strategy, and the enemy's target with that strategy. As we see in the scripture, Genesis 3, 1 through 7 is our minds. What is the target of the enemy? It is our minds. We see Paul write in 2 Corinthians eleven three. but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve way back at the beginning of all this, by his cunning, that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Just as Eve was deceived originally, we will be deceived. I am afraid that you will go from your devotion in Jesus and you will be led astray by his cunning. So why? Why is the enemy after our minds? He's after our minds because this is part of the image of God that we were made within that communicates to God. And God communicates with us. He speaks to our minds. And we listen, and we do, and with our minds, we speak back to him, and he listens, and he intercedes on our behalf. The enemy, he knows battle. He knows warfare. He knows if he can cut off communication between you and God that there is nothing that he can't do. He knows how serious, how needed communication is within the battle. Without communication, we lose sight of the mission that God has put us on. Without communication, we lose sight of ourselves and our identities and who God says that we are, and we just fall victim to everything. We just start to believe what other people say about us. We start to lay victim to 
all the things that we think we need to do instead of what God actually tells us we need to do. We, if we lose communication with God, will believe any lie that the enemy sends against us. And that is exactly what his weapon is. The weapon of the enemy against us, against our minds, is lies. Revelations 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, again, from the very beginning, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Eve was deceived by the serpent. We are deceived by that same enemy, that same adversary, that same opposer comes against us. And how does he do it? With lies. How does he lie to us? We can see that in verse 1 of Genesis 3. He questions God's word. This is just the first step of his lie actually becoming a success in our minds. He questioned God's word with Eve. And he got Eve to question God's word. What was his question to Eve? Did God actually say that? Hey, Eve, maybe you owe it to yourself to just rethink this. Hey, Eve, if God really loved you, would he keep something from you? Then what does he do after that? After he questions God's word, then he denies God's word. In verse 4, you will not surely die. And it is a small, small step between questioning God's word and denying God's word. If you open that gap and that door, the enemy will bust through it and our lives will be a mess. It is a small, small step between questioning and denying. Now think about Adam and Eve. Think about the situation that they're in. At this point, they had never seen death. They had no idea of this death that the enemy was trying to deny. All they had known up to this point was God in a perfect relationship with him. All they had known was God and his word. And now that word was being opposed for the first time in their lives. And so the enemy questions God's word. Then the enemy denies God's word. And then in verse 5, the enemy substitutes God's word with a lie of his own. And that is a lie that even he once believed. And that is that you will be like God. Now, he is taking something that is true and he is twisting it into something that is a lie. Now, Adam and Eve, they were already created in the image of God. But now what the enemy is saying is you can be like God. So he is taking this idea that he once fell for himself before he fell from the heavens. In Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, as we will read in a second. And he is putting that towards Adam and Eve, trying to trick them with the same thing that he fell from. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, talking about the enemy. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself the most high. The thing that the enemy tempted Adam and Eve with was the same lie that he himself embodies, and that was a desire to be like God. The enemy, he's smart. And especially when it comes to believers, he knows, he knows how to get inside of our minds. He knows how to take the truth, something that we believe is right, and we are going to go for that. And he knows how to twist it just enough to where we get completely off course. We may not even realize it 
for a month, two months, but eventually we get so far down course, just being a couple degrees off, that we're not even on the same track. And what does it take? Just a little questioning, just a little denial, and just a little substitution of the truth with a lie. What is the enemy's purpose in this? The enemy's purpose in lying and deceiving us is to make you ignorant of God's will. Satan attacks God's word because God's word reveals God's will to us. Without God's will, we are blind, we are vulnerable, we are so, so likely to fall and to trip or just be ambushed without any defense at all. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If the enemy takes that out of our life, we could fall for anything. We could fall over anything. God wants us to understand his will. God wants us to desire his will. God wants us to do his will. This is not a sense of duty. This is not a, oh God, if I have to do your will today, I guess I will. But this is as believers, knowing everything that God put on the line, knowing that Jesus gave his life so that we could be put in right relationship with him, that we could know his word, that we could understand his word by the Holy Spirit illuminating that inside of us so that we could do his word, which leads to doing his will will. God wants us to do his will from a sense of desire, a longing inside of us. Because as believers, when we do God's will, this is how we are nourished. Jesus says in John 4, verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. If we're going to be sustained as believers. It's not going to happen on showing up to church alone. If we're going to be sustained as believers, it's going to be taking these things that we learn on Sunday mornings, these truths that we sing out in worship, in our time in the Word, and applying it to our lives to do God's will so that we can be sustained, we can be nourished to continue to do God's will because there should be a deep longing within us as sons and as daughters of the King to do exactly that. So if we need God's will, then what is our defense? In any battle, there should be a defense. We talked about the armor of God last week. And this strategy of the enemy to lie to us and deceive us, our defense is God's word. Only God's word can reveal to us and defeat the lies of the enemy. Like Eve, the enemy is too smart for us. Like Eve, the enemy is too cunning for us. We will always be victim to what he comes against us with, without God's word. But with God's word, we can stand toe-to-toe against the enemy. We can dispel every lie that he sends against us. We can know who we are, and we can know the truth that we stand on, but that means that we have to spend time in God's word. This isn't across the board in here. I realize that not everybody in this room has surrendered their life to Jesus. It would be foolish of me to think that. But for those of you that have, for those of you that say, I belong to Jesus, I know he gave his life to put me in right relationship with the Father. I know he died for my sins, and I have made him Lord of my life, which means master of my life. 
If that is you, and you have done that, how many times have you opened your Bible this week? How much time have you actually spent reading God's Word instead of taking someone else's Word for it? We wonder why we're getting ambushed and attacked and run over by the enemy. It's because we're believing his lies. And we will continue to believe the lies of the enemy if we don't spend time in the truth. We have to spend time in God's word. How could we say we are his if we don't spend time getting to know him any better than we do from someone else? We have to know it. We have to spend time in it. We have to have it ready. You don't go into an attack without a weapon. We have to have it memorized. We have to have it put to heart. We have to work it down into the core of who we are, and we have to be ready to use it because the enemy is going to continue to lie to you, lie to you, lie to you, lie to you. And it doesn't even take you buying an entire lie for him to plot his path to victory in your life. Maybe somebody says something to you, they accuse you, and you only believe a fraction of it. Well, congratulations, now that door is cracked. And now the enemy, as a serpent, is going to slither his way in. And he's going to work himself into the recesses of your mind, the recesses of your trauma, the recesses of the things that you've been through, the recesses of the things that you've done. And he is going to start to sow seeds in your head that you can no longer identify as a lie, but think are the truth so we combat it with God's word. What are some lies that we as a church, as a culture, as Arizonians, a part of the just the best country ever, America, United States of America in 2023. What are some lies that we believe? I think they're lies that culture throws at us. How about the lie of this certain sin is fine? Again, the enemy, surely God didn't mean that this was wrong. Right? You can pick your pet sin, you can insert it here. Right? That's just what some really old guys said a long time ago, and it's culturally that the cultures don't even line up. Well, we know that God's word is timeless. We know that it is truth, and we know that it is without error. So it really doesn't matter what culture says. The only thing that matters is what God's word says. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that means we need to dispel that lie. That means we need to cling to God's word for the truth. That means that that sin that we are dealing with isn't okay, even if it's culturally acceptable. The sin in our life, the sin in others, it's not okay. We live in the truth. How about the lie that we should be anxious and worried. Again, this is kind of cultural too. This is something that culture says, yeah, worry, anxiety, doubt, fear, insecurity, all these things, absolutely okay. Everybody has anxiety, right? The enemy slithers into our life, and he says, surely God won't take care of you this time. Or he gives you that partial lie and says, surely God has you now, but will he have you tomorrow. Again, go through the catalog of your mind, inventory your heart. What are the things that we choose to worry about today, 
tomorrow. Matthew 6.34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Over and over and over again, Jesus says, do not worry. Do not fear. Over and over and over again, he proves that his provision is great for us, that his protection for us is unmatched, that he has us in his hands. Still, we worry. God had me last time, but surely this time, God won't have me. He will have you today, tomorrow, and forever. Live in the present. Don't get worried about what could happen in the future. Know that the future is in God's hands, that he is in control, that he is all-powerful, and trust in that. When we get so caught up in the future, that's when anxiety takes place in our hearts. But live in the present. If the enemy can get us thinking about the future, then the enemy can distract us from the goodness of God in the present. How is God showing up for me now? How is God providing for me now? Where's the goodness of God in my life, in his protection, in his provision now? Where are the people that God has surrounded me with because of his love, because of his grace right now? And how can I live with them? How can I live right now, presently focused on God? What about the the lie that everything is just fine? I think this is certainly one that almost across the board, and I know certainly for myself, fall victim to this. Pacified as a church, no longer dangerous, Because we have a pacifier in our mouths. The enemy, the serpent, he slithers closer and closer. Surely God won't mind if you just spend a little more time on this. Surely, Christian, God won't mind if you just veg a little bit longer on this. After all, you've worked so hard. After all, you have earned it. So let's, again, Take inventory. Let's pick our favorite thing to binge. Let's insert it here. Whether that's streaming, social media, gaming, entertainment, all of these things, mostly fine, mostly fine in moderation, sure. But we were not designed and we are not meant to as believers to let our souls be sucked out of our eye sockets and hand it over to a screen in front of us. We are not supposed to make ourselves victim and influenced to the things that we intake, but that is the design. Again, that is why it's so crucial and critical to spend time in God's word and know the truth, because if all we ever intake is lies and garbage from the world, we put garbage in, garbage is eventually going to start spilling out. Church, we've got to wake up. We're in a fight. Nobody ever won a fight by watching six seasons of something in three days on Netflix. That's not how battle works. We've got to know God. We've got to know his will. We've got to spend time in his word. We've got to protect our hearts, but it's not just our hearts. It's the hearts of our kids as well. We wonder why they're so stressed, why they're so anxious, and they spend so much time in front of screens without our protection, without our supervision. And TikTok is indoctrinating them. 
And Snapchat, if that's even a thing still, I don't know. If that's still a thing, that's indoctrinating them. Or I know they're not on Facebook because you're on Facebook, so that probably means they're on Instagram. That's indoctrinating them. And we wonder why their lives don't look like the life of Christ. It's because they're filled with garbage all the time. We have to wake up. We're not just filling our lives with truth, but out of the overflow of our life and our devotion to Jesus and our walk with him, the salvation and the protection of our kids is at stake. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Peter does not say, therefore, sitting on the couch, watching whatever you want, therefore, sitting on your phone, scrolling through as much social media, whatever it is, news that you want. No, therefore, preparing your minds for action, knowing that you are in a fight, knowing that you are in battle, being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you through the revelation of Jesus. Let's take our minds off of the things of this world. Let's put them back on Jesus. Now, close out with this. When it comes to the demonic in our lives, when it comes to the unseen spiritual realm, when it comes to demons opposing us, when it comes to the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the deceiver, the tempter, any name that you want to pick for him, when it comes to all this, our response is always found in the word of God. I want us to be a church that is known for being a church that is about the word of God. I want us to be a church that goes to God in prayer. I want us to be a church that has woken up and has gone on the offensive, not just for ourselves, not just for our families, but for the community that God has put us in. Because people are dying and going to hell. So we have to wake up, realize that we have the cure for all that, and that is the gospel, that is the good news of Jesus. We have to take our minds off of the things that have us captive. We have to unplug from the matrix, and we have to put ourselves back into the fight. And when it comes to the fight, when it comes to the lies of the enemy, our response is always found in God's Word. Here's what God's Word has to say about all of these plans of the enemy that we have covered today, that you can cover when you read screw tape letters, that we may cover tonight at home group, Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication for me, declares the Lord. In Jesus, we have all authority. Luke 10, 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, especially you Arizonians, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So, What do we do when these attacks keep coming? When they keep persisting, we find the answer to that. Once again, in James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Sometimes in my notes, I'll I'll underline a verse, and that way I can go back, I can pick out the really important part. This whole dang verse is underlined. If I could underline it six times, I would submit yourself then to God. That means you have to unsubmit from the world. You have to unplug from the world. Resubmit maybe, 
to God. Submit your life to him. Lay it down before him. Say, you know what's best. Your plan, your design is best. I do not. I will stop doing what I think is, is best because it's not working, and I will give it to you. Submit that to God. Resist the devil. And eventually, he's going to keep attacking, keep attacking, keep attacking. When he realizes that your defenses are impenetrable, guess what? He is going to stop attacking, and eventually he will flee. What happens if you don't resist? Well, then that door that is cracked by that little baby lie just keeps opening a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more. Maybe it started off as a pet sin, but you keep feeding it, you keep feeding it, you keep feeding it. And now it is a monster that is set to destroy you, your life, your family. Everything that God has set up to bless you in your life will be undone because you didn't resist. And when you didn't resist, you gave the enemy more influence, more influence, more influence. The, the chains... The bondage got tighter and tighter and tighter. The handcuffs, tighter, tighter, tighter. What does it say? Submit yourselves to God, not the enemy. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let us resist. We see that the enemy, he is powerful, but he is not near as powerful as our victorious King Jesus. And this is God's response to the enemy's lies Colossians 2.15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, and in him is Jesus. Look, Satan and his demons have no power over believers because of the victory of Jesus. There is no power that can come against you that will prevail if you are in Jesus. You are protected if you are in Jesus. Your mind no longer belongs to the enemy because it is the mind of Christ if you are in Jesus. What does that mean? That means if you do not belong to Jesus, that you are open to attack. You are susceptible to the lies, to the influence, to the deception of the enemy. Our protection comes in Jesus. And our protection comes in Jesus because Jesus has already defeated the enemy. You see, God knew that we would be a victim and defenseless to the enemy. So to put us back in right relation with him, he sent his one and only son that he would, Jesus, would be obedient, that he would glorify the Father, that he would take the cross, and in him taking the cross, that we would benefit from the forgiveness of our sins, that we as dirty people who cannot stand in the presence of God can now be made clean and in the presence of God and in right relationship with him when we make him Lord. When we ask him to forgive us of our sin, now we are protected because we are his. No army that goes up against the victorious king's people will remain. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you've given your life to Jesus, if you are protected or not. But if you are not, we want to offer you that opportunity. There is a box on your Connect card. It says next steps. I'd like to take a next step. It says, I would like more information about a relationship with Jesus. If that is you, and you've realized this morning that you are unprotected because you've never given your life to him, you've never submitted to him, you've only submitted to the Lord, we want to talk to you about that. We believe that is the most important decision that you can make in your life because that is the only decision, decision that will echo into eternity. That is the only decision that will make sure that you are defended against the lies, against the attacks of the enemy. Church family, let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would make us familiar 
with the enemy's strategy in our life, how he is lying to us, how he is deceiving us. We know this is just one of many strategies. Jesus, show us the lies that we are falling for. Show us where we give in and don't resist, and show us how we can resist. Protect our minds. Protect our minds, Lord, from questioning your word. Protect our minds of denying your word. And Jesus, replace those lies with your truth. Replace those lies with your word. Do not let the enemy remove the truth from our our minds and replace it with a lie. Jesus, help us as we grow in dependency on your word. Show us how to pick up our swords. Show us, great warrior, mighty king, how to swing them, how to fight, how to see victory that is in you and only in you and does not come by our strength, but in your strength and your victory alone, Jesus. Teach us to know the word of God. Teach us as we read our Bibles and use it to dispel the lies that the enemy has set up in our minds as strongholds. Jesus. Jesus, thank you that through you we inherit victory over sin, over death, and over the enemy. Thank you that you fought on our behalf, and thank you that you were victorious, that you didn't hold that victory for yourself. But you invited your sons and your daughters into it, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.